Amen. Kiddos, you are dismissed pre-K through second grade. Give them babies a hand as they go. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. He's running out of here. Look at him. That's a bunch of them. Pray for our children's church this morning. Also, if you need the nursery, it's out this door and to the right. But of course, your babies, pre-K, second grade, babies, infants, whatever, even your teenagers, they're welcome here in the sanctuary with you every Sunday morning. Amen, Grace? Amen. Some of them didn't mean it, guys. But listen, turn in your Bible to 2 Timothy, and we're going to be in chapter number 3. 2 Timothy, chapter number 3. And, and if you weren't with us last Sunday, what we've been doing is an overview of the Bible, of Scripture. We've been uh, just kind of taking, uh, we're zooming out, if you will. So often we pick and choose stories. If you are to be honest, there are parts of the Bible that you've probably read dozens and dozens of time and then times, and then there's other parts that, let's be honest, you haven't really read, have you? And you kind of skip over those parts. A lot of times we treat it like a buffet. We just go to that restaurant and eat the buffet, but we never take the time to look and see what's actually on the menu. So this morning we're going to be talking about the menu, right? And we and these last week and this week we're covering the entire Bible. And last week we did the Old Testament. But it's important sometimes to get that bird's eye view. This last summer, me and Alicia and the babies, we went uh, down to Orange Beach on vacation, and uh, the in-laws came with us, and so that was terrible. And then um, <laughs> we survived. I shall overcome. And um, and so the in-laws came, and they're the worst. They're not even here for me to. They were in the first service. That stinks. All right, so, but listen. And so we went in, we rented a pontoon boat down there and where you could go into the bays and the inlets and all that on a pontoon boat for four hours. Worth every dime. We had an awesome time. We saw so many dolphins and whatnot. I mean, it was just great. We had a blast. But when we first got in that pontoon boat and started out, and they gave us this little like touristy, rickety tourist map, you know, and I'm looking at the map and I'm looking, I've never been there before, and I'm like, these things don't seem to be adding up. I mean, kind of, okay, there's a marina there and there's a, but it was kind of difficult to tell where we were and where, where we wanted to go. And then I pulled out my phone and on my phone, I pulled up the maps. It showed me exactly where I was. Right. And then it and I could I looked at that and I could see, oh, OK, this is where we are. That's where that is. And that's where this is. And we're going to that island over here. And everything made sense when I kind of zoomed out and got a larger picture of what was going on. Context and perspective are everything. And so today, again, zooming out to get some context and perspective on God's word. But as we start, look with me at Second Timothy chapter 3, and I'm going to be in verse number 16. You know these verses. It says, all Scripture, say that with me, all Scripture, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What this says is the Word of God is literally a theonosis. Uh, it's God-breathed, God-inspired. From Genesis to Revelation, God inspired it all. The writers of the Old Testament and the New Testament come from all kinds of different varied backgrounds, but God used them to write the Bible. Now, you know this, and you've probably heard this before, but the Bible has one story. It's got one hero, Jesus, one villain, the devil, and it's got one message that Jesus saves. That's the Bible. The Old Testament, 
39 books, 28 authors. It took over 2,000 years for the Old Testament to be completed. The New Testament, 27 books, 9 authors, and it took about 100 years for all of the New Testament to be completed. Now, if you missed last Sunday, I encourage you, go online. You can go to the church's Facebook page. Watch last night's sermon. You'll get a little bit more in depth. But I want to kind of give you the context before we move into the Old Testament. Look at this next slide. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. What do I mean by that? I mean that when you look at the Old Testament, you can tell it's pointing at something. It's going somewhere, right? There's, a, there's something that it's pointing towards. The Old Testament, sometimes I compared it to pictures. When we take a selfie, there's that original selfie, and then there's that version that you upload to Instagram. Amen? That you don't run through them filters and you took all your wrinkles out. You're right, you just look perfect. The lighting, right? The Old Testament's kind of like that raw picture. There's some shadows and the colors aren't just right. And, 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 and so there's some things there. But what it's doing, those shadows are pointing to something that's coming. In the Old Testament, we learned about our, our sin cycle or the spin cycle of sin where we forget about God, we fall, we fail, then we beg God to forgive us and to help us. And we see the nation of Israel doing that time and time again. It started all the way in the garden. God created Adam and Eve in his image and Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God. And because of their rebellion, they saw their nakedness and God had to kill an animal. This is a picture of the atonement, right? It had to kill an animal to cover them in those animal skins. That was a shadow, a foreshadowing of what was to come when Jesus was going to die on the cross so that he could cover our sins. And so you see this throughout the Old Testament pointing uh, towards the cross over and over again. Uh, and then we see in the Old Testament, God called Abraham. He called his sons uh, Isaac and Jacob. And, and uh, Jacob had a son named Joseph. And through a series of events, the Israelites, they all end up in Egypt, uh, enslaved in slavery for 400 years. And God calls Moses eventually to go and call his people out of Egypt and take them to the promised land. And God accomplished this with a night that's called the Passover. I'm not going into the details again, but the Passover was a picture of Jesus who was to come. It pointed to him. And so uh, finally, uh, they get out of Egypt, but Moses dropped the ball. So then Joshua has to take over. And Israel and Joshua are supposed to drive everybody out of the promised land, right? Because God wanted to judge them. God had warned those people, I'm going to judge you for your sin. And they had not repented. They'd not turned to God. And God was using the nation of Israel and Joshua and all them boys to go in and to wipe those people completely out. But they didn't do it. They did it almost, but not quite all the way, right? They kept some things that were a convenience for them. Remember this. Look at this next slide. Sin dealt with radically is sin dealt with effectively. Effectively. When we do halfway measures, when God calls us to do something, we need to go all the way, not halfway, because there's the results of that sin. And for instance, what happens in, in the Old Testament is God begin uses judges, you know, these judges to, uh, to call the people to repentance and get them in the right direction. Samson was supposed to be a judge. He wasn't a good one, and he was supposed to be a judge. Samson, Gideon, Deborah was a judge, right? But then the people, they weren't happy with that. So what they say? We want a king. We want it. Hashtag, we want a king too, right? Give us a king. And God's like, you're not going to like it. We want a king. So God said, I'm going to give you a king, but you're not going to like it. And so God gave them kings. You remember Saul, David, Solomon, right? Uh, uh, Saul, failure. David, a man after God's own heart, but remember, uh, he 
he went to Bed Bath and Beyond. Remember that joke last week? You didn't laugh much then either. All right, so David had sinned, and it completely wrecked the future of his family in a lot of ways. And, and devastation, you can go back and read that. And then also, uh, he had Solomon, a trust fund kid. So here's Solomon, the trust fund baby. And Solomon grows up, and he asks God for wisdom to lead the people. God gives him that wisdom, the wisest man to ever live. But Solomon liked the women, and he liked all the women. Which ones? All the women. Does he like the, Yes, yes, yes. And so he'd take all these pagan women, and he brought them into Jerusalem, and he would marry, or he'd marry some of them. And he had hundreds of concubines. And what he would do is he would allow these women to do their pagan worship there in, the, in his home and in Jerusalem and in Israel. And they introduced all these pagan false religions uh, to the people. And so God was going to judge that. And eventually, uh, the nation of Israel was split there was the north and the dirty south, okay? The north and the south, and then God had split the kingdom apart and judging them for their sin, right? Why is that? Well, look at this next slide. Because we can choose our choices, but we can't choose our consequences. Israel, the people of Israel had made choices, and these are the consequences that follow. They keep, they, they forget God and sin and cry out to God. Forget God and sin and cry, and it was just this sin cycle. And then eventually what happened was they got taken out of the promised land, the land that God promised to get them. They got taken out just like they were supposed to come in and take them other people out. And what happened was first the Assyrians come in and they took the northern tribes of Israel. The, the northern tribes of Israel took them out and basically erased them from the pages of history. The southern tribe was taken in captivity by the Babylonians and just pulled them, exiled them from the land. But God is faithful so eventually, just like God's word said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sending you out, but guess what? I'm going to bring you back in. Just like God's word said, they got to return back to Israel. Nehemiah, they got to rebuild the wall, which was good under the leadership of Nehemiah. The temple worship was reinstated, or the true, not the temple, the true worship was reinstated under Ezra. So things are kind of going good, but you see that cycle. We forget God, we fall and we fail, and then we cry out to God for forgiveness over and over and over again. And eventually you get to Malachi, the very end of the Old Testament. And in Malachi, what we learn is this, we're still under a curse. So we started, now keep, keep with me, we started way over here in the book of Genesis and they get kicked out of the Garden of Eden because of their sin, right? They're under the curse of sin. And you fast forward 2,000 years of trying and falling and failing and trying and falling and failing. And you end up over here at Malachi at the very end of the Old Testament. And the best news that Malachi has for us is, well, somebody's coming. And he's going to turn the hearts of the, the fathers back to the sons and the sons to the father. But guess what? You're still under a curse. 2,000 years, still under a curse. And then after Malachi's great news... Then we have 400 years of silence. It's like God cut his phone off. And nobody hears from God for 400 years. It's almost as if he has given up on his plan. But then we get to the New Testament. Take some notes. Write this down. Number one, first thing we come to in our New Testament is the big four. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do you watch Netflix? Netflix? I know you watch Netflix. Uh, I like documentaries. I've always got a documentary or two queued up in, my, in Netflix. Right? I'm, watching, I'm a big history buff. I like documentaries. When you think of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, think documentaries. 
And just like every filmmaker, every documentary maker, right? Because y'all know all doc documentaries aren't the same, right? Like I could do a documentary about something and you could do something. And even though it's the same thing and it would be factual, there's different perspectives. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Right? Different perspectives. Matthew's writing to the Jews. Mark is writing to the Romans. Luke is writing to the Greeks. John's writing to everybody, okay? I mean, they write about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, but they had a different audience and a different perspective. Now, number two, since it's all about Jesus, again, this is an overview. Jesus called the 12 disciples. He was a friend of sinners, and he defeated the devil. Now, again, overview. Who's Jesus? He was born of a virgin in a manger. Jesus was fully God and fully man. Something I don't think I'm ever going to fully understand. How about you? It's amazing, and it's incredible, but it's true. So Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He entered planet Earth, lived a righteous, perfect life, died a sacrificial death, and on the third day, he was resurrected from the grave. But let's go through this. So Jesus called his disciples. Now his disciples... About three-quarters of them are what we would call rednecks, okay? I mean, these boys, they just, hey, just, these, are, they, these are not the people you expect God to draft onto his dream team. Nobody here has a degree from Harvard or Yale. Nobody's here on the who's who's uh, list for anybody. They do not come from the right side of the track. And that's good news because if God can use them, surely he can use you. And surely he can use me. Jesus was also a friend of sinners. Jesus liked everybody all the religious people didn't like, right? He had friends like uh, uh, Zacchaeus. He had Nicodemus. He had the rich young ruler. Jesus even forgave prostitutes and thieves. And the religious people, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they couldn't stand it. They didn't like it. And they didn't like Jesus. It drove them crazy. And Jesus, of course, defeated the devil, right? The death, burial, and resurrection. The devil hated Jesus. The hypocrites hated Jesus. Look at this next slide. If you're going to follow Christ, you're going to have some haters too. I mean, again, you can't worry too much about it, especially in this age of social media. It's a lot easier. You're going to have haters, right? If you're going to make a difference, you're going to make some waves. If you're going to make a difference, you're going to make some waves. But just make sure it's for the right reasons, Right? They hated Jesus, they're going to hate you. Let it be because you're like Jesus, not like some Pharisee or Sadducee, right? Don't claim persecution that's not yours just because you're a, you're a lifelong member on the lemon-sucking committee. If you're, if you're going to be hated, let it be for the right reasons. The right reasons for being like Christ, not because you're being legalistic, ugly, judgmental, you know, whatever, just fill in the blank. Those aren't the right reasons. They hate, me they hate me because I take a stand for Christianity. No, they hate you because you're a jerk face. It's true. It's true. Right? Amen? I mean, you might be sitting with one. Number three, write them kidding. Number, no, I'm not. You might be. Number three, write this down. All right, so Jesus' miracles. We move to Jesus' miracles, right? The miracles, they're not the only thing, but they definitely show that he was God. The miracles show that he was God. Water into wine, the feeding of the 5,000, I call that the Hebrew happy meal, right? He fed 4,000, I call that Chick-fil-A. The blind could walk, the lame could see. I mean, the blind could walk. The blind could see, the lame could walk. It could calm storms. I was just seeing if y'all were listening. 
Listen, this Jesus was not an ordinary man. He had serious, incredible power that Scripture tells us about. Now, another thing, do you know Jesus was, Jesus was a preacher? Number four, write this down. I want you to see this. Whenever Jesus preached, there was information, demonstration, and application. You have the person of Jesus, the power of Jesus, and the preaching of Jesus. Jesus told stories. Two-thirds of everything Jesus ever shared was a story. 69% of his words were about application, how you could take what he told you and apply it to your life. Here's how to live it out. And then Jesus would say these, look at John 6, 35. He would say things like, I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the good shepherd. He would use these word pictures, these illustrations that people could attach to and they could understand. I mean, again, he told stories. I've heard people complain about preachers that tell too many stories. That preacher, all he does is tell a bunch of, well, you wouldn't like Jesus' preaching. Every time he preached, he told a story and gave application. That's our goal here at Grace, life application preaching, right? Life application. How does this apply to my life? That's what we want to do. Number five, so eventually Jesus gets to the cross. That's all of our sin paid in full. Jesus, sinless, perfect, righteous, no sin in him, went to the cross and died for our sin. Again, you remember way back in the garden? I talked about this in the first service. I think... I think I invented this. We have, we have, you know, like blind walking. That's a great thing. All right. We have this atonement awareness in our life. God created you with atonement awareness in your life. What I mean is this. Somebody's got to pay. Somebody goes to a school somewhere and shoots it up. You, and I, you know and I know somebody's got to pay. Somebody hits your car down here at the Walmart parking lot. Somebody has got to pay. Somebody somewhere is abusing a child. You know and I know somebody has got to pay. Now, why is that? I've got that in in me, but my dog doesn't have that. Right? We're made in the image of God. So what did God do? We look at this verse, Galatians 4, verse 4. We looked at this last week. It says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as son. In the fullness of time, right on time, Jesus came. Why did he come? Look at this next slide. Someone has to pay, man. Somebody has to pay. He died on the cross for your sins and for mine and your iniquities and my iniquities and all the things that we've done because he's completely righteous and we're totally unrighteous. I have a debt. I cannot file bankruptcy on my uh, sin debt. I can't work my way in. I can't work my way close to God because I'm a self-centered, a self-centered sinner and he's our sovereign savior that we need. He's the sinless one who died on the cross. If I would have died on the cross, I couldn't have saved myself. But because of who he is, he died for the sins of the whole world. Why? Because someone has to pay. You know it and I know it. It's true. Someone has to pay. He voluntarily took that upon himself. I know what they thought, though. They killed him, the devil and all that crowd. They killed him, and they thought, ha, 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 we got him. Jesus is whooped. It's over. Ring the bell. Ding, ding, ding. It's done. Number six. But the resurrection, where Christ proved that he was victorious over sin, hell, and death. The greatest act in all of human history is the resurrection. Why? Because somebody had to pay. Somebody had to pay. The bodily One time, after Jesus was resurrected, he showed himself to over 500 people at one time. 
Now, if you're a lawyer and an attorney in here this morning, I bet if you had a case and you had 500 witnesses going your way, that would be a good, good case to take, wouldn't it? And Jesus appeared and showed himself to all these different people. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the atonement, right? Why? Because somebody had to pay. You see, back here in the Old Testament, you see all these bloody sacrifices. They're slaughtering calves and, and, and lambs and doves. and, and all. There's, The Old Testament has blood all over it because it's pointing to that ultimate sacrifice. The per, these imperfect shadow sacrifices foreshadowed the one true sacrifice that was to come. That was Jesus Christ at Calvary. Dying on the cross, suffering for our sins, and paying our sin debt, and rising again from the grave. This whole thing called Christianity, forget about whatever you think that you believe about it, but let me tell you something. If the resurrection isn't true, it's all a sham, it's all a joke, we should pack up and go home. It all hinges on the resurrection. If the resurrection didn't happen, none of it even matters. Matter of fact, if the resurrection didn't happen, nothing matters. The resurrection is the single greatest event that happened in all of human history. Listen, if you've got doubts, I just want you to know the Bible's big enough, mean enough, lean enough, tough enough, thick enough, right enough. It can handle your doubts. Get in it. Find the answers. Get in God's word and find the answers that you're looking for. And you need to. Look at this next slide. Jesus demands a decision. Somebody has to pay. The resurrection demands a response. All right, so Jesus, he rose again. He appeared. He even ate meals. Like he had that talk with Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I do. Peter, do you love me? Right? And he did all that. The number seven, write this down. Then we have the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit comes to guide, convict, and empower. So Jesus is getting ready to ascend back to his Father in heaven. And he says, I'm going to send a helper, a comforter. I'm going to send you a guide. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but you shall receive power. Say power. Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Touch your neighbor. Look at your neighbor and say witness. Witness. Listen. The reason why God does, when you get saved, he doesn't just zap you and send you to heaven. is because he's given you a job to do, to be a witness. In fact, look at this next slide. Here's what all believers ought to be doing. We ought to be sharing our faith, sowing our resources, and serving outside of ourselves. Now listen, here's the book of Acts in a nutshell. Jesus goes up. The Holy Spirit comes down. And then Simon Peter takes the message. Peter and the church, they go out and he preaches Christ crucified. He tells people about this Jesus who was resurrected. Now keep in mind, when this story is told, you've heard of it in Acts, the day of Pentecost. When this story is told, it wasn't like months or years after the resurrection. It was just a few weeks later. And the people that Peter is preaching to, these people saw Jesus, knew Jesus. They, some of these people were shouting, crucified. And Peter goes out there and says, this Christ whom you, you turned over, this Christ who you killed, died for the forgiveness of your sins. These people that could have went to the tomb to see for themselves if it was empty. These people who could have grabbed uh, Jesus' mama Mary and shook her like a bobblehead till her head fell off, saying, tell us the truth. These people that could have investigated it in a way, I mean, it just happened. And he shares this message with them. And boom, 3,000 people give their heart to Christ right there where the resurrection 
happened. 3,000 people got saved and they were baptized. Number eight, write this down. All right, so here's the flow of Acts. Jesus went up, the Holy Spirit came down, the church went out, and the lost came in. Jesus goes up, the Holy Spirit comes down, the church goes out, and the lost come in. The church explodes even though it was being persecuted. And things just began to happen in the church. Again, all these persecutions. Saul, this dude Saul, he was a heavy hitter, lived to persecute and hated and murder Christians. And then, and then God knocked him on his backside on the Damascus Road just like he was knocking Christians on their backside every time he got a chance. And God caught his attention and gloriously saved Saul, renamed him Paul. And when Paul got some of Jesus, he got all of Jesus. And Paul went out and he went preaching and planting churches all over the known world at that time. And the church is just exploding. Again, Jesus went up, the Holy Spirit came down, the church went out, and the lost came in. That's what happened in the book of Acts. The church is just growing and expanding. I want you to look at this next slide. The church is the only thing that Jesus ever built. What I mean is this. It's the only institution. Jesus didn't start hospitals. He didn't start charitable organizations like the Gleaner's House. He didn't start anything like that. He started the church. And that's why we're part of the church. That's why we believe in the church. Because it belongs to Jesus. And then as you move along, Paul, as he's planning these churches and he's writing his letters to the churches, right? He wrote some letters like the book of Romans, the Magna Carta of the Christian faith. Number nine, write this down. Here's what we learned through the letters in the New Testament. Scripture alone, Jesus alone, faith alone, grace alone, God's glory alone. Right? So he's writing all these letters to the churches that he helped start, like Romans and 1 and 2 Corinthians. And he writes letters to people like Timothy, Philemon, on and on and on. He writes them. And what we learn first is scripture alone. That's Grace Baptist Church. This is a Bible-believing church. All the authority that we have, we believe it comes through scripture. We believe the Bible. We preach the Bible. We're trying to live according to the Bible. And then it says Jesus alone. Right? We know that Christ alone is sufficient for our salvation. Without the death, burial, and resurrection, we have no hope. It says faith alone. We're not saved by works. We can't work or hedge our way in. It's faith in Christ. By grace alone, God's riches at Christ's expense, right? We know we're saved by grace. Look at it in your notes, Ephesians 2, verse 8. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And why? For God's glory alone. So we can live for the glory of God. Now, all of that. And finally, we make our way to the book of Revelation. Write this down. A new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven. and a, Now, there's a lot more to the book of Revelation than that. Right? The rapture, the tribulation, the millennial reign of Christ, the judgments, the devil and demons cast into a lake of fire. I mean, just all kinds of stuff happens in Revelation. But it culminates with this new heaven and new earth. What God started way back here in creation, God is going to recreate, right? What got messed up in sin and rebellion, God is going to recreate and fix everything. Why? Because he's the only one that can't fix it. If you think creation is good, when you go down, when you go on your cruise, you go to the beach, you go to the mountains, or you go out in your backyard and you go, man, creation, God is awesome. Creation is amazing. Listen, recreation blows it out of the water. Heaven is not going to be us floating around on a cloud playing a harp. Well, Scott, Scott's going to be floating around playing a harp in heaven. But the rest of us, we're not going to be doing that 
at all. We're going to be able to use our gifts and abilities like never before. We're going to have relationships like never before. We're going to be able to enjoy things like never before. Uh, uh, colors like never before. Sounds like never before. Creation is simply this. What we have right now is a foreshadowing. Like all those foreshadowings we talked about, the picture of Christ in the Old Testament, New Testament. Where This earth, this life right now is a foretaste, a foreshadowing of what God has planned for his people in eternity with a new heaven and a new earth. And the new heaven and new earth are going to surpass the old heaven, the old earth. It's such magnitude, it'll almost be incomparable. It's going to be amazing. All the types and the pictures and everything that God is going to fulfill. I hope you get to experience it. Because before a new heaven and a new earth, there's going to be a judgment. There's a judgment because somebody has to pay. You know that in your heart. When you see wrong done, you know somebody has to pay. Either Jesus paid it all or you're going to pay for years. Either Jesus paid it all or you're going to pay. That's what the Bible teaches us. Now, so what's the Bible all about? The Bible is a hymn book, isn't it? It's all about him. We did this last week, and let's try to go through it one again. Let's look at the books of the Old Testament first. In Genesis, he is the creator God. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he's our cloud by day and fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's our promise-keeping, promise-making God. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he's our lawgiver. In Ruth, our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is our prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he is the reigning king. In the book of Ezra, he is our worship. Nehemiah, he is the wall builder. In Esther, he's the invisible hand of God. In Job, he's our encourager and our healer. In Psalms, he's the great shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's the wisdom that we desperate need. In the Song of Solomon, he is the initiator and the founder of marital love. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he's the potter and we are the clay. In Lamentations, he's the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the wheel inside a wheel. In the book of Daniel, he's the fourth man inside the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband. In Joel, he's the one who pours out his spirit on all people. In Amos, he's the burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's mighty to save. In Jonah, he's the foreign missionary. In Micah, he's the hope of restoration. In Nahum, he is the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he's God's evangelist. In Zephaniah, he's our savior. In Haggai, he's our restorer. In Zechariah, he's the fountain of life. And in Malachi, he's the promised blessing that's poured out from heaven. Stand up and praise Jesus. What about the New Testament? In Matthew, he's the Messiah. In Mark, he's the Son of Man. In Luke, he's the Savior of the world. In John, he is the Son of God. In Acts, he is the power of the church. In Romans, he's the great justifier. In 1 and 2 Corinthians, he's the gift to the church. In Galatians, he's the God of grace. In Ephesians, he's the whole armor of God. In Philippians, he's our contentment. In Colossians, he's the head of the church. In 1 and 2 Thessalonians, he's coming again. In 1 and 2 Timothy, he is the living word of God. In Titus, he's the pastor's friend. In Philemon, he's the mediator. In Hebrews, he's our high priest. In James, he's the one that matures our faith. Faith. In 1 Peter, he's our hope and suffering. In 2 Peter, he guards us from all false teaching. In 1, 2, and 3 John, he is love. In Jude, 
fruit, he keeps us from failing. And in Revelation, he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the author of our salvation. Sing Grab a seat for just a second. Grab a seat. Grab a seat. Let me ask you, what have you done with the death, burial, and resurrection? What have you done with the death, burial, and resurrection? I shared a story in the first service. This bodybuilder went to Africa. He was on a tour of Africa, and this great this tribal chief saw all his muscles and how big and strong he was. And he says, what do you do with all those muscles? The guy pulled off his shirt, and he flat. You know how they pose, and he made all the muscles and everything? He posed for the guy. And he says, what else do you do with those muscles? The guy says, that's it. Just pose. I wonder if that's true for you this morning. You're here. You look nice. You've got your Bible. God has given everything that you need. But the truth is you're posing. You're not using what God has given you. His truth. His word. His love. What have you done with the resurrection of Jesus. Look at this verse. Hebrews 9 verse 27 says this. It says, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. The judgment. There is a judgment to come. And the one thing that you're going to have to answer for is what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with the resurrection? And here's what I love. I'm going to share this with you. But what I love is way over here. Remember, we talked about it. It started in Genesis. The the sin curse right the curse the blood had to be shed and the animal died and it covered their nakedness covered their sin and how that was a picture of christ to come then you go through two thousand years of history and you get to malachi and all the way to malachi and there's still a curse then 400 years of silence and then we go into the new testament and all this happens what happened to the curse at the very end of your bible in the book of revelation chapter 22 verse 3 it says this it says, and there shall be no more curse. It's done. It says, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Who will serve him? Servants. They shall see his face, and they shall reign forever and ever. The curse has been broken. What have you done with the resurrection? Right? The promise has been fulfilled. Someday there's coming a judgment. You will answer for your sins if you die apart from Christ. But if you're in Christ, someday, someday, they shall see his face and they shall reign forever and ever. Will you pray with me for just a second? Head bowed, eyes closed, no looking around. Pray for those around you. Be respectful of those around you this morning. Let me ask you just a simple question. You're here, and this is just between us. I will not drag you forward. I will not single you out. I'm not here to embarrass you in any way. I just want to ask you, 
Are you here this morning? Do you need to pray and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? God is speaking in your heart right now. You're like, I need to get saved. Slip your hand up. God bless you. I see you. God bless you. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. God bless you. Anyone else? Listen, I just want to pray for you. Right there in your seat. Right there in your seat. And there's nothing special about this prayer. What this is, is you humbling yourself to God. Speaking to God. It's not the words. It's your heart. Surrender, man. I want you to pray a prayer like this. Say, Father God, I'm a sinner. I sin, man. I do things. But God, I turn from my sin. I'm turning to Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Tell him. Say, Lord, I'm putting my faith in your resurrection, your death, burial, and resurrection for me, for my sin. Because I know someone has to pay. Thank you for paying. Save me, Jesus. Tell him. And now thank him. Say, thank you for saving me. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for everything. Thank you, Jesus. Listen, you just prayed that prayer. Or maybe you've prayed that prayer some other time in some other place, maybe another service, and you've never made that decision public, I want to encourage you to do that, man. The first thing that God asks us to do when we trust Him in faith is to be baptized. Have you been baptized after your salvation? You need to. Maybe your baptism and your salvation is kind of out of order. You can get that right. You can come this morning, and we'll pray with you and rejoice with you. We'll schedule that time for you. Maybe you're here this morning and God has called you to be a part of the Grace Baptist family. This is your church. This is your home. You know it. God has confirmed it in your heart. It's time to make Grace home. Come and do that this morning. Grow at Grace. Or maybe this morning you need to come and just pray, man. Maybe you need to come to the altar and just thank God for the resurrection, for his word, and for his love. Maybe there's somebody else that you need to pray for. Whatever you do, this morning don't neglect this invitation and let it come and go do business with god father god we surrender this invitation to you we love you it's in jesus christ's name we pray amen will you stand with me